become disjointed because uh, I discontinued it through the feast and have gone to other things which I felt were needed, and I did feel last week's sermon was something we may have all needed. But I want to get back to it and, and try to get this wrapped up pretty soon. Uh, understand that when people ask for this series of sermons, they will come as a package together, and there won't be weeks uh, in between, so they'll get it as a continuing series, and it, it will make more sense then. So uh, please understand that I've been trying to get through this, but other things have intervened at times. But I do want to finish it and come to some conclusions on it. And for the most part, so far, we have been defining the major players at the end. And I want to continue that somewhat today, because it's an area that we have not discussed. You have read of the King of the North, the King of the South, and the Scriptures, but who are they? What does that mean? Who is the king of the north? He plays a prominent part in the end time prophecies, yet is mentioned in only one place. Did you realize that? The king of the north is only mentioned in one passage of scripture. I never realized that until I started searching through. That's Daniel 11. King of the south is only mentioned one place in the Bible, Daniel 11. Again, those two are combined in Daniel 11 and not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. So, who is the king of the north and who is the king of the south? Israel is going to cap into captivity at the end time. To whom will she go into captivity? Who is it going to be? Now I say that's the only place that the king of the north and the king of the south are mentioned as such. But there are other places that there are references made to someone from the north or from the north country, but it doesn't mention king of the north. And I think that that is significant. Nothing God writes in the way he does it is insignificant, okay? But I think it is insignificant that he mentions the north and the north country quite a bit, but he never defines it specifically as the king of the north until Daniel 11. And the very probable reason for that is that there have been many kings of the north, as we shall see. But in prophecy, for this end time, there is a specific person, a specific entity to whom Daniel 11 refers. Therefore, in all other passages, a, king, a, a person, an entity from the north is mentioned, or from the north country, but he's never called the king of the north. Now let's examine some scriptures about one from the north country and the land of the north and the north, apart from that one specific reference in Daniel 11, which we'll get to later, about the king of the north. I, I looked up, first of all, north country. Uh, let's see some scriptures on that, starting in Jeremiah 6. And I picked out all of those which had to do with 
the captivity of Israel, where we would be going, and so on. Chapter 6 of Jeremiah. Now he's talking in this chapter about Benjamites. He's talking about Zion. Uh, it does say in verse 1, For evil appears out of the north and great destruction. And then he's likened Zion. And I'm going to today, as I have been in this series, refer to physical Israel more than to spiritual Israel. As you who have listened to my sermons for several years know, I have been very careful to show that the prophecies, basically all of them, have to do first with the church, later to physical Israel. Spiritual Israel first, God deals with, then he deals with physical Israel. And that those prophecies, in most cases, overlap. There are a few places where he's speaking of one or the other, but in most cases, they overlap. That what is about to happen to physical Israel, its total destruction, has already been happening in the church. It has been almost totally destroyed, and that destruction continues to this date and shall continue to continue. I could refer you to Zechariah 11, about three big trees being felled, a tree being symbolic of a church, and three shepherds being removed or killed, or whatever it means there for sure, in one month. In other words, the destruction goes on. So what we have been seeing in the church is what I have been preaching far and wide and loudly, but what we have been seeing happen to us is about to happen to our brethren in the world. So even though we have gone over these scriptures and applied them to the church, we can also now take a look at the same scriptures and how they apply to the whole world and to physical Israel. Now that we have heard from Herbert Armstrong, from some who are speaking today about Israel being destroyed physically. But it is very rare that you find anyone seeing that those prophecies first applied to the church. That is still rare to this day. But, as we have seen in this series, the church and the world are on a converging path to meet face-to-face, head-to-head, in a confrontation that will involve the whole world. It is a confrontation against the few of God, against the many of Satan. God and Satan, in reality, are the only two major players on the world scene at the end. Everyone else either lines up with God or with Satan. It's that simple. And things are going to get so bad that even the very elect could be deceived if it were possible. That's how strong Satan's pull is going to be. That's how strong the miracles are going to be, and so on. So it is coming down to that. Whose side are you and I going to be on? 
That is the only question really that remains as God sorts this out as to who the true elect are and those who will go the other way and accept the ways of this world and the mark of this world and of the beast to come. I didn't think I said anything funny, but I see we've got a couple of kids that are laughing and having a good time. Well, what was humorous about what I said, but I suppose that'll sober them up a little. Going on in Jeremiah 6, verse 22, Thus says the Eternal, Behold, a people comes from the north country, and a great nation shall be raised from the sides of the earth. They shall lay hold on bow and spear. Now, he has been addressing Israel here in this chapter. And who are they coming against? They're coming against Israel. They are cruel and have no mercy. Their voice roars like the sea, and they ride upon horses, set in array as men for war against you, O daughter of Zion. So we have people coming from the north country to destroy Israel. We can establish that right away. Chapter 10 of Jeremiah, chapter 10. Now this chapter does not address Israel so much as it does Judah, the other side of Israel. Now let's go down to uh, verse 22. Behold, the noise of the brute is come, and a great commotion out of the north country to make the cities of Judah desolate in a den of dragons. Now, there were Gentiles who came into the church who made the church desolate and like a den of dragons. We've already seen that. But I want to apply it now to physical Israel and to physical Judah and that there is a physical destruction coming, which will be just as complete as what we have seen happen in the church. And it comes from the north country. Now, let's go to chapter 23. Now here again, this one is easily applied to the church, and I think most people in the church have read Jeremiah 23 and applied it to the church, not to the Methodists and the Baptists, after what we have seen happen in the church. This is one that is easy to attach to the church. But it also has a broader application to those preachers within Israel who are not in the church, and they are part of the destruction that is to come. While it has been a spiritual destruction of Gentiles such as Tkachas coming into the church, we're about to have that in our land. Verse 7, Therefore, behold, the days come, says the Eternal, that they shall no more say, The Eternal lives which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but the Lord lives which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country, and from all countries whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. God is going to scatter Israel around the world, and then in a millennial setting, they're going to be drawn back together to their own land, just as the church remnant is going to be gathered to God's land again, even before that happens. Chapter 31, what we're establishing here is that God's people Israel, physical Israel, are going to be taken captivity into whatever that is 
that equates to the North Country. What is it? Chapter 31. Uh, in this one, he's talking about his people who found grace in the wilderness. Certainly there's an application to the church here. Uh, even verse 6, For there shall be a day that the watchmen upon the Mount Ephraim shall cry, Arise you, and let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. That will happen within the church, and ultimately, come time for the millennium, it will happen to the rest of Israel. Uh, notice verse 8, Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the coasts of the earth, all over the earth, and with them the blind and the lame, the woman with child, and her that travails with child together, a great company shall return there. Now, in our narrower view over the decades, we understood that Israel was to be taken captive, and we assumed that it would be a combine of ten nations led by Germany that would do that. And I presume that we thought we would all be taken to Europe as slaves. But here, it says from all over the earth. It is a bigger picture, perhaps, than that which we envisioned 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. And we'll see that more as we go on. From the coasts of the earth, not just from Assyria or from Europe. It's bigger than that. Let's go to chapter 46. Jeremiah covers this pretty extensively. I want you to see a bit of a definition here uh, in chapter 46 and verse 10. For this is the day of the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance. So this is talking about the very end time prophecies, okay? This isn't talking about something uh, that happened to ancient Israel. This is the day of the Lord setting. A day of vengeance, that he may avenge him of his adversaries, and the sword shall devour, and it shall be satiate and made drunk with their blood. For the Lord God of hosts has a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. So these references to the north country have to do with, at least in ancient history, that area along the Euphrates where what was? The ancient city of Babylon and the Babylonian Empire, but that's not all, as we're going to see. There was more there. Various peoples ruled that area and hated Israel, and at times persecuted and destroyed Israel. <clears throat> Let's go to Jeremiah 50 now. Jeremiah 50. going to see that. Chapter 50 is a prophecy against Babylon, Babylon and the Chaldean Empire. Now, if Babylon was the north country, and it's represented that way in some scriptures, Nebuchadnezzar was from the north and he represented the Babylonian Empire. Well now, if it can only or that area can only be defined as 
the king of the north from ancient Babylon, how do you justify this? It says Babylon is taken in the middle of verse 2. And in verse 3, there is an anomaly. For out of the north there comes up a nation against her, which shall make her land desolate, and none shall dwell therein. They shall remove, they shall depart, both man and beast. So Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar in other scriptures, and I think we're going to get to a couple of them in, in, another, in another section here, were listed as from the north, and yet here it says that Babylon is destroyed from the north. Now, obviously, the north has to be defined in more broader terms than one kingdom or one people only. Follow that? Now, historically, what happened? Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, came from the north, from the Euphrates area, and took Israel captive, took the Jews well, the Jews more specifically captive. Israel was already gone into northwest Europe by then. But took the Jews captive. Then what happened to the Babylonian Empire? The Medes and Persians came from the north and destroyed Babylon. Where was the Assyrian Empire? It was referred to as the north. Nineveh was north and a bit west of Babylon, further up toward Turkey. So the Assyrian Empire was from the north, the Babylonian Empire was from the north, the Medes and Persians were from the north, and if you want to carry it on further, Alexander the Great and the Greeks were from the north, and the Romans were from the north. Any of those empires could have been called from the north or the north country. Now we begin to scratch our heads because it's much broader than we might have thought. Now if that is the case, perhaps here in the end time, all these prophecies which are for the end time can be seen in a broader scope than what we have looked at them in the past. Here at the end, if, as we, I believe, defined, that the United States represents the rulership and the leadership of the Babylonian system today, if the United States can be termed the leader of Babylon, it could also be termed king of the north. If Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar were termed that, and we today represent Babylon, could we not also fit under the definition of king of the north? We'll explore that possibility as we go on, and specifically more as we get to Daniel 11. Now, I think there are some possibilities that a leadership in Europe of a worldwide coalition might also be defined as king of the north, but at different times. Because if we're Babylon, we get destroyed from where? 
the north. We just read that. Babylon will be destroyed from the north. All right, let's <clears throat> take the phrase land of the north and explore it a little bit. Here I want to go back to Jeremiah 3 because this is the phrase that is used as opposed to north country, but it's referring to essentially the same things. Jeremiah 3. Here he's talking about backsliding Israel and treacherous Judah. That is the subject. And on down in verse 18, it says, In those days the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel, and they shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given for an inheritance to your fathers. So the implication here is that they will be taken into captivity into the north, and therefore when they are regathered, it will be from the north, whatever from the north means. Chapter 16, <clears throat> verse 15. But the Lord lives that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands whither he has driven them, not just from the land of the north, but from all the lands where he's driven them. And I will bring them again into their land that I gave to their fathers. Behold, I will send for many fishers, says the Eternal, and they shall fish them. And after will I send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. For my eyes are upon all their ways. They are not hid from my face, neither is their iniquity hid from my eyes. <clears throat> so, because of our iniquities as a nation, as a people, we will be taken into captivity, into the north, and to many other places. Let's see that echoed. Well, wait a minute. Let me get one more. This one refers in Zechariah 2, <clears throat> I think specifically to the church, because it is written in the context of Haggai and Zechariah, and speaking specifically of the two witnesses and of the church here at the end. And there's a reference made <clears throat> that we will get back to <clears throat> a little later, but I wanted to include it here. Zechariah 2, verse 6. He says, Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, says the Eternal. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heaven, says the Eternal. Now he addresses the church in Zechariah 1 and 2 and 3 and 4. And this is a specific reference to the church which has been scattered to the north. Now envision for a moment a map of the Middle East, and you had that land which God gave to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob as an inheritance for Israel. And what did you have around it? Basically to the south and to the east, you had Arabs, then and now. To the north and the northeast, and ultimately to the northwest, you had Gentile nations, who had military forays south of their borders to punish Israel as a rod in God's hands at times, or as he spoke of Nebuchadnezzar, as my servant Nebuchadnezzar. Well, now, did Nebuchadnezzar serve and worship God? No, he never did. 
But he still was in the service of God in punishing Israel, or Judah more specifically. So all these peoples from the north, whether they were the Assyrians, the Babylonians, uh, the Medes and Persians, the Romans, the Greeks, whatever, came from that direction always into the Middle East to destroy. So all of these peoples put together equal what? Basically, Shemitic peoples other than Israelites who came to whip up on Israel. Gentiles who were descendants essentially of Shem. Doesn't include Africans, does not include Asians. We'll see that a little more clearly as we go on. So, that being the case, we would expect, would we not, that anyone who represented the ancient land of the north, or north country, to be led by Shemitic Gentiles. I think we can define that as we go on. Now let's take the phrase, <clears throat> the north, or the north. We've looked at north country and some references to land of the north and some references. Now let's look at the north. I'll go back to Isaiah 14, verse 31. Isaiah 14, verse 31. Howl, O gate. What was a gate? A gate was something put in a city wall which you could come in and out of, but which was the most likely place for someone who was attacking your city to breach you was the gate. If they could get the gate open, that's what they wanted. So howl, O gate, cry, O city, you whole Palestina, that is all of Israel, the Palestinian area, are dissolved. All Israel, in other words, is dissolved. Palestina uh, represented that at that time. For there shall come from the north a smoke, and none shall be alone in his appointed times. So destruction is coming on Israel from the north, however that might be defined at the end time. Babylon as a city or as an empire is completely defunct today. Iraq was trying to rebuild Babylon as a tourist attraction, but there's nothing there. And yet Babylon is mentioned very, very prominently in the end time scriptures. And as I said last or a couple of weeks ago, George W. Bush is currently the king of the north. He has defeated that land or at least I think it's defeated, <laughs> we shall see. He has taken over, for the moment at least, Iraq, which contains Babylon, and when you take over a country, you become its leader or its king. Therefore, not only figuratively, but literally, George Bush is the king of Babylon. Let's go to Jeremiah 1. I said we'd see 
the scope of this thing broadened somewhat, and it is here in Jeremiah 1. Jeremiah 1, uh, but let's start in verse 11. Well, let's start in verse 10, actually, because Jeremiah was sent to give a message not only to Israel, but really to the whole world. And we'll see that here in verse 10. Speaking to Jeremiah, whom he's just now being sent out as a prophet, he says, See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. So... He is giving Jeremiah authority to speak against the nations, the kings, and ultimately to give instruction about what will, what will be planted and what will grow. It was not just to Israel, but the nations, the peoples, the kings. Moreover, the word of the Eternal came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. The almond tree is that which blooms first in the spring. Then said the Eternal to me, You have well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. In other words, this is not going to be strung out over a long time when it starts to happen, but it will happen early and happen quickly. And the word of the Eternal came to me the second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a seething pot, a pot put on to boil. Okay? And the face thereof is toward the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north an evil shall break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land. And this was written from the perspective of Israel and Judah. So here's a seething pot, a boiling pot, that will break out from the north. For lo, I will call all the families of the kingdoms of the north, says the Eternal. This is a broad-based destruction not involving one kingdom, but all the kingdoms of the north. Now I think that we will be able to make a connection when we get into Daniel of all those kingdoms. Remember the four that are mentioned there. When you go to Revelation 6, I think it is, or 6, wherever it is, it shows that this beast at the end is an amalgamation of all those beasts of Daniel. Very clearly it draws them into one beast. So there are elements of all the foregoing empires that are drawn together in this ferocious end-time beast. It has the characteristics of the lion and the leopard and the bear that are specifically delineated for each kingdom in Daniel. And Jeremiah echoes that. I will call all the families of the kingdoms of the north, and we've already seen that historically that included not just the Babylonians, but the Assyrian, the Babylonian, the Mede, the Persian, the Greek, the Roman, all those kingdoms that came from the north. Most of them, of them have disappeared or gone back home now where they came from. Perhaps the Chaldeans, the Babylonians themselves, have gone to Italy. Ernest Martin did a paper back in the 60s, I believe it was the late 60s, 
on the race change in Italy. And in that, he made connections between the ancient Babylonians or Chaldeans, and his premise was they went to Italy, and the present-day Italians are descendant of the ancient Babylonians. And he may have made a correct call there. I'm not sure of that, but the Romans went back to Rome, the Greeks went back to Greece, the Medes and the Persians still settled around the Mediterranean, uh, the Assyrians went to northwest Europe, apparently, or most of them. But all those peoples were at one time defined by the Bible as from the north, or the north, or north country. Now God continues in verse 15, And they shall come, and they shall set every one his throne at the entering of the gates of Jerusalem, and against all the walls thereof, round about, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will utter my judgments against them, touching all their wickedness, who have forsaken me, and have burned incense to other gods, and worship the works of their own hands. Very interesting. God may make an amalgamation of all of those peoples who came against Jerusalem from the north throughout history. And all those kingdoms are mentioned in the book of Daniel and are brought together in the book of Revelation. So what Jeremiah is saying here fits exactly what we are going to see very shortly. Uh, chapter 3, verse 12 through 18. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Go and proclaim these words toward the north, and say, Return, you backsliding Israel, says the Eternal. If Jeremiah is going to go talk to Israel, where does he have to go? He has to go where Israel has been taken, to the north. If you do this, he says, I will not cause my anger to fall upon you, for I am, I am merciful, says the Eternal, and I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Eternal, your God. That is the thing that we have so much difficulty getting the church to do today. Each group likes to think they are the Philadelphian chosen ones who are doing no wrong and will be blessed and have their ticket punched to go to a place of safety and ultimately the kingdom of God. That is the view that most all organizations today take. There are very few who will acknowledge their iniquity. Very few who will admit that they have been and perhaps still are too spiritually proud and vain and have need of nothing. Most are told by their preachers, you're doing fine. And is that not what is being held forth for physical Israel today? The economy is going to be fine. Job placement is up. Stock market's going back up. We're defeating those Iraqis over there, and we're going to win the war on terrorism someday. And everything's hunky-dory in our land. Isn't that what we're being told? We rule the world. America can do whatever it wishes. So we have singers singing about the red, white, and blue. Now we're going to ram our boots somewhere in the world. And we have all kinds of prideful songs about America today. 
and how we must stand up for our country because we are the ones in the right. We can do no wrong. What we see in the church is precisely mirrored in the world. Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the eternal your God and have scattered your ways to the strangers under every green tree and you have not obeyed my voice, says the eternal. Who has scattered its culture under every green tree? Israel. America. And we are going into captivity to the north. All right, let's look at chapter 4, verse 6. Set up the standard toward Zion. Retire or strengthen it means stay not, for I will bring evil from the north and a great destruction. The, the lion has come up from his thicket. One of the beasts of Daniel is mentioned as a lion. And the destroyer of the Gentiles is on his way. He says, don't stay where you are, retire not, strengthen yourself, get away, because evil is coming from the north. The Gentile is on his way, he has gone forth from his place to make your land desolate, and your city shall be laid waste without inhabitant. Speaking to Israel here. <coughs> Chapter 13. Chapter 13. And here I want... Verse 20, here again, this chapter in context, and I won't read the whole thing for sake of time, and you can do it yourself if you wish, but it's about, well, verse 9, I will mar the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. Israel today has great pride. We've already talked about that. Verse 18, say to the king and to the queen, humble yourselves, sit down, for your principalities shall come down, even the crown of your glory. Say this to our leaders, you're coming down. The cities of the south shall be shut up and none shall open them. Judah shall be carried away captive, all of it. It shall be wholly carried away captive. Lift up your eyes and behold them that come from the north. Where is the flock that was given you, your beautiful flock? What happened, Jacob, to your people? What will you say when he shall punish you? For you have taught them to be captains and as chiefs over you. Shall not sorrows take you as a woman in travail? Let's go to chapter 16. And here I want to begin in verse 15. Speaking again to Israel. Didn't I read this before? Or is it just another passage like it? But the Lord lives that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north, and then and talks about the fishers and the hunters. But I wanted to get down, what was it, to verse 19, I guess it was. O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come to you from the ends of the earth. That's the phrase I was looking for. Not just from the north, but here he says the Gentiles are going to come from the ends of the earth to destroy us. Are we beginning to see a bigger picture than that which we once envisioned? We always blamed it on just the Assyrian, didn't we? 
We read in Isaiah 10 how he is the rod of God's anger. But he's not the only rod of God's anger. There are others. Nebuchadnezzar, his servant, destroyed Israel at one point. And here it says that they will come from the ends of the earth. Everywhere. All the kingdoms of the north, plus those from the ends of the earth. Is this bigger than ten little nations made up of one nation of Assyria and most of the rest of them Israelites? Now, does that really make sense? Israel is to be destroyed. And yet we saw the Assyrian in ten nations, and we saw the European Union begin to develop, but it developed mostly with what? Israelite countries. France, Belgium, the Netherlands. You look today at the map of Europe, and it's the EU is composed, at least as its core group, primarily of Israelites. Now they're admitting more and more and more countries, Spain and Italy and going into the Balkans and so on. It's getting bigger. They're, they're talking about 25 nations within the next year. Much bigger already than what we at one time envisioned. <coughs> and I believe, based on this scripture and others, that it will get far bigger than what it is today. The globalist people envision a world divided into ten divisions. The whole world divided into ten divisions with all national lines obliterated. The sovereignty of every nation destroyed and all coming to live under a new world order based upon a division of ten with a king over each of those ten. A king, a president, a ruler, prime minister, whatever you want to call him, the Bible term is king or ruler or leader. That is what they envision. And these scriptures seem to indicate that this is a whole lot bigger than ten nations in northwestern Europe which we at one time envisioned. And indeed, you talk, you listen to people like Bill Clinton, and he says the sovereignty of America must go away and we must all come under the new globalist world order that George Bush Sr. spoke of. He said that in a speech only probably two weeks ago now. In Washington, D.C., two dignitaries of our people. And his wife is making an end run for the presidency as we speak. And he is making an end run to try to become Secretary General of the UN. And he said the UN must be given much greater power. He said in another speech not long ago that as Secretary General of the UN, I would have far greater powers than I ever had as President of the United States. The UN today, by comparison to the United States, is a toothless dog. So for him to say that, he must perceive a complete change in the power structure of the world. To take that view, he has to envision that. Now I know 
that if you've been the president or the king of a nation, you cannot, by the rules today, be Secretary General of the United Nations. Once you have been Secretary General of the United Nations, you can then go and become president of your own country. But today, the, war, the rules preclude that. Rules can be broken, and rules can be changed. In fact, a lot of people say rules are made to be broken. Common. Now, whether he'll be that man or not remains to be seen. I don't know that. I'm not predicting that. But I'm saying here is a man who has been on the world stage who is saying this must happen, and he's saying it to the leading dignitaries in Washington, D.C. What does Washington, D.C. have to do with this? We'll get to that. Now let's go to Jeremiah 50. We've already touched on that in another section here, but uh, this one being the north, we come back to it because uh, it refers to both the north country and the north. But I want to pick up some more verses here. We picked up verse 3 before, showing that Babylon is going to be taken from a nation from the north. That was the Medes and Persians originally, and they probably will be included in the end-time fulfillment. Let's go on down to, uh, let's see, where was I in my notes here? Verse 9. For lo, I will raise and come, cause to come up against Babylon, and excuse me, to verse 41. Behold, a people shall come from the north, and a great nation and many kings shall be raised up from the coasts of the earth. It starts with one nation. It goes to nations from the north. Now it expands it to companies from around the earth. This is the end time perspective I think that God intends us to see. It's not one country. It's not a few that were in the north. It is a worldwide coalition against America and Israel. And already there are leaders around this earth who are talking about a coalition against America. One was a Russian general some time back, and it has been mentioned by others. It is already forming in the minds of these people. And it's not just some Assyrian who has the idea. It is others. We are universally hated universally despised, even as we are envied and people are jealous of us. Generally, that which you envy and are jealous of, you come to hate. This is the way human nature works. Chapter 51, verse 48. <clears throat> then the heaven and the earth and all that is therein shall sing for Babylon, for the spoilers shall come to her from the north, says the eternal. And yet she is referred to as being from the north. In other words, the empires have come and gone. Personalities have changed. Kings have changed. Different ones of the Gentile nations came to Israel from the north. So God leaves it general. From the north, north country, the north. 
And only in Daniel 11 does he say, specifically, the king of the north. That, then, will have to be a specific individual at the end. Just as the beast represents a huge worldwide empire, but is led by one man. Just as the false prophet is a religion that is spread far and wide, yet is ruled over by one man, because those two individuals, the beast and the false prophet, will be taken by the neck and dropped in the lake of fire by Jesus Christ, or a lake of fire, when he returns. In other words, in the end, we have to define all these players on the world stage in a very specific manner. We need to know who Babylon is, who Tyre is, who the king of the north is, who the king of the south is, who the beast is, who the false prophet is. Once we identify all these players, we can then begin to put the story together and see what is going to happen to whom. Now I want to go from there <coughs> to Zechariah 6. This has been a very enigmatic passage, but there's something here I want you to notice. Remember chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 of Zechariah have to do with the church at the end and the two witnesses giving oil to them. Later on they are given power and go to the nations in Zechariah 11. But that is the entire context of the first chapters of Zechariah. Then in chapter 5, you see this flying roll, which was the size of the original Ark of the Covenant, or the tabernacle, <clears throat> and that the law, which was contained within it, would go out to judge, and everyone who lied and stole and so on would be judged by it. So this flying roll represents the Ten Commandments and God's Word. And then this woman sitting in the middle of the harvest had wickedness in her mouth, and I equate that to the Worldwide Church of God. And a lead weight was put in her mouth to shut her up, because she sat in the middle of the harvest of God and was destroying it. And then two unclean birds, perhaps those birds look sort of Tkachish, take her and set her on her base in Babylon where his worldwide gone, right back to Babylon. So I think the context here is still <clears throat> the church. Shinar, land of Shinar, was ancient Babylon in verse 11. And she's set on her own base. She's not set on God's base. She's set on a Babylonian base today. Now, chapter 6 <clears throat> is interesting. And I turned and lifted up my eyes and looked... And behold, there came four chariots out from between two mountains, or nations, or peoples, and the mountains were mountains of brass, strong government, could be the two witnesses here, who represent the government of God, and who will come forth very strongly soon after the church goes into Babylon. In the first chariot were red horses, and in the second chariot black horses, and in the third chariot white horses, and the fourth chariot grizzled and bay horses. Now he identifies four different types of horses here. Then I answered and said to the angel that talked with me, What are these, my lord? What do these horses represent? What is this all about? 
And the angel answered and said to me, These are the four spirits of the heavens which go forth from standing before the Lord of all the earth. These four horses represent all the earth. And I'm uh, speculating to some degree here, but I think in that sense, what is important on this earth? Boa constrictors, uh, horses, uh, sheep, uh, bugs. Now, what's important on this earth is people. So these horses probably represent all the peoples of the earth. So he says, these four spirits, how many races of people are there on the earth? Four. Okay. The black, verse 6, the black horses which are therein go forth into the north country. We've been talking about north country now for some time, haven't we? Do, does not the north country, from what we have seen so far in all these scriptures I've talked about today, represent those Gentile nations, basically of Shem, which came from the north against Israel? We've read a lot of scriptures on that today. The black horses go forth into the north country, and the white go forth after them, and the grizzled go forth toward the south country. And the bay went forth and sought to go, that they might walk to and fro through the earth. And he said, Get you hence, walk to and fro through the earth. So they walked to and fro through the earth. Then cried he to me, upon me, and spoke to me, saying, Behold, those that go toward the north country have quieted my spirit in the north country. This represents, then, God's people being taken into captivity. I'm speaking now physical Israel, not just the church. Into the north, to the north country. Let's see that. Verse 10. What is the context? Take of them of the captivity... Even of Heldai of Tobijah and of Jediah, which are come from Babylon. So the whole context of Zechariah, even though it is talking about the end church, is from the standpoint of Judah being in the captivity of Babylon. And he takes those, or that analogy, and extends it forward to the end time, when the two witnesses will be here. So these people that he's talking about that are to be taken from the captivity are from the people of God who are in Babylon. I believe that America today is the leader of Babylon. And most of the spiritual Jews today are in America. Okay? Take of these of the captivity which are come from Babylon, and come you the same day, and go into the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Then take silver and gold, and make crowns, and set them upon the heads of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. That's one of the two witnesses. So it is an end-time prophecy, not something clear back when Nebuchadnezzar took over Judah, or Jerusalem. It's the end. And speak to him, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, 
and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the eternal. And I think that's referring, A, to Christ, who is the branch, but he is represented by Zerubbabel on this earth, who does the actual physical building, even though Christ is behind it. Even he shall build the temple of the eternal, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Between who? Well, it's talking about Joshua and Zerubbabel, the two witnesses. The crown shall be to Helam and to Tobijah and to Jediah and to Hin, the son of Zephaniah, for a memorial in the temple of the eternal. So we're talking here in the context of building the church in the middle of this prophecy about the north country. And they that are far off shall come and build in the temple of the eternal. This, this refers you back to Haggai, where it talks about it being built. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and this shall come to pass, if you will diligently obey the voice of the eternal your God. Now that was exactly the advice that was given to Joshua in Zechariah 3. And it extends to all of us here. He was the high priest representing who? The people. We all have to diligently obey God for this to happen. We cannot be lackadaisical or lack zeal or be Laodicean and think we have need of nothing. We must be working hard to diligently obey if these prophecies are to come to pass. So what he's doing here, I believe, is tying together the work of the church and the two witnesses at the same time that destruction comes from the north. But this is primarily about that. Let's go back for a moment to verse 6. The black horses which are therein go forth into the north country, and the white go forth after them, and the grizzled go forth toward the south country. The others wandered about the earth. Isn't it interesting that these represent the four spirits uh, of the earth, and yet he only deals really with the north and the south in this prophecy. Now is that then easily tied with Daniel 11? The confrontation in Daniel 11 is between the king of the north and the king of the south. They go back and forth in that chapter. Now, well, let's go, but how much time do I have? A little. Let's go to Daniel 11. Actually, I have quite a little on the tape because the sermonette went so long. What, what Bill had to say was fine, but I've been persecuting these guys, but if they take time, extra time, then I have less time. So I'm being selfish about it. Let's speculate a little bit here about what Daniel 11 might be talking about. We've already seen the stage set to some degree in Zechariah 5 and 6, that there's a confrontation between the church and the kings of the north. And the king of the north and the king of the south being dealt with in Zechariah 6. Well, here in Daniel 11, that's 
basically all you see is the king of the north, king of the south, the only places in the Bible that those two terms are used, and we will see toward the end of the chapter, the church. Also I, in the first year of Darius the Mede, even I stood to confirm and to strengthen him. So Daniel is speaking of his relationship with Darius the Mede, who had just destroyed the Babylonian Empire. Uh, Belshazzar had been killed, and the Medes and Persians had taken over. And now will I show you the truth. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than they all. Now, this had an application in that day. And those four empires that are mentioned earlier in this book certainly came to pass. Babylon, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, that all happened. But Revelation brings it forward and shows an amalgamation of all those empires, as I mentioned earlier, and the book of Daniel is what? It is an end-time prophecy that simply could not be understood and explained until the end. Seal it up. So those who tried to understand the book of Daniel in Christ's day, in the Middle Ages, ages, perhaps in the 16, 17, 1800s when most Protestant commentaries were written, could not understand the book of Daniel. They could look at history and understand that those empires occurred. So when you read those commentaries, that's what they talk about. But it is only recently that even a few out in the world have been making a connection between these kingdoms and what is happening here at the end. Some of them are beginning to make those connections. They're departing from the traditional explanation given by the Protestant commentaries and are beginning to see that these are referring to end-time countries and kings. I'm talking about Protestant broadcasters on TV and radio. They're beginning to see the connection because they also understand the book of Daniel was sealed till the end. So you can basically dismiss any explanation of the book of Daniel as nonsense until the time of the end, which time I believe we are in. Now we should begin to make some connections. Whether we understand it fully or not may not be, but we understand it a whole lot better, I think, now than we understood it 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, or 40 years ago. It's beginning to make more sense. So, chapter 11 is an end-time prophecy, and indeed it culminates in that and goes right from there to chapter 12 about the time of trouble and the return of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. So that's the context of Daniel 11. I will show you the truth. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than they all, and by his strength through his riches he shall stir up all against the realm of Grisha. Now who does Grisha represent? Do we have a Grecian empire today? Could it be 
that the Greeks were from the, let's say, from the perspective of the Middle East, were far from the West. Has not Israel taken on the countenance of a Gentile today? Did not, in Ezekiel 16, and we've covered this, God himself even say that your father was an Amorite and your mother was a Hittite? I look at you today and I can't see that you belong to Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. You look like a bunch of Gentiles to me. And then he called her a great whore. Could it possibly be that we are representative today in America as the King of the North? And perhaps as a Western king. From that perspective, geographically, in that day, and the commentaries even mention this, Greek was known as, or Greece was known as the West. What are we today? We're the West, and this, this West did not even exist then. So how did you say that? So we today are the West, and are called that, and yet, we have every characteristic of the Gentile kingdoms. Of the Grecian kingdom, of the Babylonian kingdom, of the Medes and Persians. And today we're acting like our traditional view of the Assyrian, whooping up on people wherever we desire. We are cutting off nations, not a few, are we not? And we don't even know that in our hearts. Are we, in some respects today, a type of the Assyrians? Are we not a type of all the Gentile kingdoms? Now tie that in with Revelation 18, where it says, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And I've mentioned this before, but I want to put it in this context. That if we represent Babylon and the king of the north today, who are destroying others and building an empire, which is what we're doing, we will shortly fall. And it can be said then that Babylon is fallen. We're the current leaders of Babylon. After we fall, there will be another king of Babylon and king of the north who destroyed us. And since they destroyed us, they will take the mantle then of king of Babylon and king of the north. And they will then rule 42 months as the beast and false prophets, as the king of the north, and be destroyed by Christ. And it would make Jeremiah fit where it says that Babylon from the north is destroyed by someone from the north. We today are Gentile in character. We are Gentile in culture. We have departed from God. We are satanic and demonic in culture. Everything about our culture today is satanic. And we're proud of it.
America today is Satan's shining jewel of degenerative satanic culture. And it is that culture which is being exported to all the nations of the earth, wherever you go. Our clothes, our music, our movies, everything. Our materialism. We have made the nations of the earth rich. No one else has. Now let's see if that might fit here in the book of Daniel with what we see going on before our very eyes in the world today. And a mighty king, verse 3, shall stand up that shall rule with great dominion, do according to his will. And he shall stand up, his kingdom shall, and when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided toward the four winds of heaven. On the world stage today, who is the mightiest king that you could name? Do I hear any offerings? George W. Bush. There is no one on this earth who can stand up against the military might led by, pushed by, pulled by George W. Bush. Now I'm speculating here. Is he pretty much doing according to his will? Does he not say we will destroy Afghanistan and we send our planes and it happens? Does he not say we will take Iraq and it happens? Is the world beginning to say this man has to go? A hundred thousand strong even in the United Kingdom when he recently visited there. When he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided toward the four winds of heaven. Now, does that give you a world view? Is it going to be just to the north or will this be a worldwide coalition of kings of all the earth who give up their sovereignty to the beast and destroy the great whore America? Named the great whore in Ezekiel 16 by God Almighty. His kingdom will be divided toward the four winds of heaven and not to his posterity nor according to his dominion which he ruled for his kingdom shall be plucked up even for others beside those. And the king of the south shall be strong. What we are seeing here then is the king of the north against the king of the south. As I look at the world stage today, I can see only one nation who could represent the king of the north. That would be America. I see a beast arising which will take that power from America and take it upon itself and become truly worldwide. Everyone but the church will give their power to the beast. Who is America squared off against the most right now? The king of the south. Now that has been speculated to be variously the king of Iraq, the king of Iran, and others. 
I don't take quite that narrow a view. I look upon the king of the south as the entire Islamic world. A billion and a half of them. Now they are centered in the Middle East. Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, all those countries there. But they have spread around the world. There is an Islamic culture growing very rapidly right here in this country. Many, many people are taking on Islamic names now, particularly among the black population, but others as well. And they're in Indonesia by the, like fleas on a dog's belly. They've scattered all over. And they are the biggest threat to America today. Now, I do not believe that they will be the leaders necessarily of the ones who take us because we've read how many scriptures today about how our destruction will come from the north and yet we've seen other scriptures as indicate that within that coalition of the kings of the north will be all the other nations of the world. So it is truly a new world order, a global beast. Everyone, Revelation said, except those who are the elect will worship the beast. Just as it was with who? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everyone else bowed down but the true men of God. And everyone today bows down to America, but that will change. It does talk here about how the mighty king who stands up at the end will be plucked up. Verse 5, And the king of the south shall be strong, and one of his princes, and he shall be strong above him, have dominion. His dominion shall be a great dominion. The king of the south is going to come into greater and greater prominence. Perhaps Iran does have nuclear weapons, or will have shortly, or be given them by someone else. And maybe the king of Iran would be the leader as the king of the south. I don't know that, but I think it represents the whole Islamic world. Verse 6, and in the end of years, that's now, they shall join themselves together, for the king's daughter of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement, but she shall not retain the power of the arm, neither shall he stand nor his arm, but she shall be given up, and they that brought her, and he that begat her, and he that strengthened her in these times. Now this originally and a minor fulfillment was Berenice, who was poisoned, or her brother was, I forget the whole story now. But have we had an alliance with Saudi Arabia and the oil cartel down there? Yes, we have. And that's, I don't know whether this is a specific daughter, it may have been in the original prophecy, but maybe this is just one of the countries of the South. We've been close with Jordan, we've been close with Saudi Arabia. We've wanted oil out of there, so we have played footsie with those people now for decades. She'll be given up. And even we today are beginning to make noises about Saudi Arabia harboring terrorists. So maybe one of these daughters of Islam will be given up. But out of a branch of her root shall one stand up in his estate, which shall come with an army, and shall enter into the fortress of the king of the north and shall deal against them, and shall prevail. 
Now we had George Bush Sr. who went into the Middle East and did his Desert Storm War. And now we've had retaliation on the towers of Tyre. And now what has else has happened? We've gone back and attacked the King of the South again in Iraq. Maybe the Islamic world is not done with America. They call us the great Satan. They hate us with a passion. Do you think they're satisfied now that they've wiped out the Twin Towers? No. We see violence over there daily now, don't we? So the king of the north shall deal against them and shall prevail. Are we going to see them triumph over us in some ways? Do not we read in the book of Obadiah and back in Genesis about how Edom, part of the king of the south, descendants of Esau, prevail over Jacob at the end? Yes, we do. Is that what this is talking about? Could the present king of the north be America and the king of the south be the Islamic world and we fall and then the beast takes over and becomes the true and final king of the north? History shows that. We've seen that today in the scriptures, that there were various kings of the north, or people from the north country, but none of them were called the king of the north until Daniel 11. It was just referred to as from the north, the north country, and the north, I think on purpose. Verse 8, And shall also carry captives into Egypt, their gods with their princes and with their precious vessels of silver and of gold and he shall continue more years than the king of the north. Now once the beast takes over if that is the king of the north that destroys the current king of the north America I see nothing in scripture that indicates the beast will be destroyed at all or not prevail at all for 42 months. That particular king of Babylon and king of the north will last until Christ returns. But this particular king of the north here goes away. It says the king of the south will last longer or more years than the king of the north. If America represents the current king of the north, we're destroyed three and a half years before Christ returns. And the new king of the north, or the king of Babylon, prevails for 42 months. And no one questions that beast. They all bow down except the elect. The whole earth, Revelation says. So the king of the south shall come into his kingdom and shall return into his own land. And I've already shown that Edom, or Esau, prevails over Jacob at the end. They're part of the coalition that lifts itself above Israel, just as was said in Genesis and echoed in the book of Abadiah. Verse 10, But his son shall be stirred up, and shall assemble a multitude of great forces, and one shall certainly come, and overflow, and pass through. Then shall he return, and be stirred up, even to his fortress, and the king of the south shall be moved with choler, upset, emotionally in a tirade. Maybe we have already seen the beginning of this. Maybe we saw it with George Bush Sr., we saw it with the Towers, we're now seeing it with George 
Jr. or George W. Bush, and maybe next the King of the South is going to become very angry and attack us again. That's what's going on in the world, and it seems to fit pretty well what Daniel 11 is saying. If I have defined the players correctly. And if I haven't defined the players correctly, then what in the world's going on? Because America and the Islamic world right now is what's going on. King of the south shall be moved with anger and shall come forth and fight with him, even with the king of the north, and he shall set forth a great multitude, but the multitude shall be given into his hand. So the king of the south is going to come again, but have problems. Well, is that what's happening? And when he had taken away the multitude, his heart shall be lifted up, and he shall cast down many ten thousands, but he shall not be strengthened by it. So perhaps the Islamic world is going to kill tens of thousands of people, but still not be truly strong. For the king of the north shall return, and shall set forth a multitude greater than the former, and shall certainly come after certain years, or at the end of times, is a better translation, with a great army and with much riches. Are we done in the Middle East yet? Are there other countries that we may attack yet and overrun and pass over? Maybe so. It's rumored out of Washington that we might take over Saudi Arabia, we might take Iran, wherever else. Wow, I'm getting out of time. So the king of the north shall come and cast up a mount and take the most fenced cities. And the arms of the south shall not withstand, neither his chosen people, neither shall there be any strength to withstand. But he that comes against him shall do according to his own will, and none shall stand before him. And he shall stand in the glorious land, which by his hand shall be consumed perhaps even going into Israel. He shall also set his face to enter with the strength of his whole kingdom, and upright ones with him. Thus shall he do, and he shall give him the daughter of women, corrupting her, but she shall not stand on his side, neither before him. Now this might be moving from the United States as the present leader of Babylon and the present king of the north into that time taken by the beast. I don't know. After this shall he turn his face to the coasts, and shall take many, but a prince for his own behalf shall cause the reproach offered by him to cease. Without his own reproach he shall cause it to turn upon him. Then he shall turn his face toward the fort of his own land, but he shall st stumble and fall and not be found. Then shall stand up in his estate a raiser of taxes and the glory of the kingdom, but within a few days he shall be destroyed, neither in anger nor in battle. It will be interesting to see how this plays out, won't it? And in his estate shall stand up a vile person, to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Sounds like Bill Clinton, but it might not be. Could be Prince Charles, could be someone else, I don't know. And with the arms of a flood shall they be overflown from before him, and shall be broken, yea, also the prince of the covenant. And after the league made with him, he shall work deceitfully, for he shall come up and shall become strong with a small people, not a big army. And he shall enter peaceably even upon the fattest places of the, prom of the proverb or of the province. And I'm running out of time here. I wanted to, to kind of get through this. 
and show how that they're going to have some coalitions and lie to each other. This is again between the king of the north and the south in verse 27. But the main point then is, Then shall he return, verse 28, into his own land with great riches, and his heart shall be against the holy covenant, and he shall do exploits and return to his own land. At the time appointed he shall return and come toward the south, but it shall not be as the former or as the latter. Uh, and then it changes and says that, the, that this people will have intelligence with them that forsake the holy covenant which I think probably is the remnants of worldwide who have forsaken the Holy Covenant. And this man, this vile one, is going to go to them to get our names and addresses and so on and so forth. And the military shall stand on his part and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength and shall take away the daily sacrifice and they shall place the abomination that makes desolate, which ties in with what we read about the abomination of desolation at the feast. And it will be against the church, not in Jerusalem, the city. That is Sodom and Egypt. But the truth, we are the only ones who have the covenant of God. The Jews do not. The Methodists do not. They will come against the church. And that is echoed throughout the book of Revelation. And some will cleave to the church with flatteries. But the people that do know their God. The ones that really understand shall be strong and do exploits. God is going to give power to his church. We can read that in Micah 5 and other places. And he's going to give power to his two witnesses, Revelation 11. And it will be a confrontation then between the then reigning king of the north, which will be the beast, and the two witnesses in the church. That's the way this whole thing shapes up. Now, some of understanding will fall, verse 35. Will not the very elect be deceived if it's possible? And then it goes on to show how this king of the north is going to have problems and eventually fall before Jesus Christ for the end of the chapter. And a time of trouble such as there has never, ever been. So maybe we can see now that Things are a lot broader on the world stage than we might have once thought. And the question remains then, what about us? What are we to be doing in the light of what is about to happen on the world stage? And we'll get to that.